So welcome, everyone. We are very excited to have Deborah Ross here today with us. Deb is a founder, a publisher, and the CEO of Kids Out and About, which is a media and marketing company whose purpose is celebrating what local communities can offer their residents and visitors. Thank you so much for joining us, Deb. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And um, why don't we just start by you just telling us a little bit more about Kids Out and About? Sure. Um, back in the in the early 2000s and 2000 or so, um, I had a toddler and one on the way. And this was back before there was such a thing as a web calendar. I know it's kind of strange to say that right now, but the internet was a toddler too. And uh, I was discovering with my with my toddler all of these amazing things to do in the town where we lived in Rochester, New York. But I was found, finding out about everything after the fact, like in the newspaper, on TV, all these old media. Um, and so I thought to myself, you know, there should be one website for a region where the organizations doing all these great things can post what's coming up. So and then that platform can help distribute the word so that people find out about it in advance. Um, so I thought somebody should do that. Well, I can do that. Uh, that's what I did sort of in my spare time. I just did it for the Rochester, New York community. Um, but the vision uh, kind of expanded as the popularity of the platform expanded. And so we started expanding in 2010. Uh, so we are now in 45 regions in the U.S. and Canada with 15 million unique visitors per year and 750,000 people get our weekly newsletter talking about what's going on in their local community. That's awesome. Um, as a relatively new parent, um, you, I can say that you're doing God's work um, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of um, like, it, like it's not easy to kind of figure out what's going on as a parent. Um, so, um, right. and, and to kind of find, find things, um, and, and children, I mean, just the value of being able to find things that children love doing and in particular, the children love doing like, you know, with you sometimes, but also just like semi-independently, like something that they're going to be really interested in, um, exactly. is, you'd think it would be, there'd be a huge market for that and it would be really easy, but it's in fact quite hard. I, part of what I want to talk about here is I, like, so you've been doing this for over 20 years. Yes. Um, and obviously you've been growing your platform tremendously. I mean, now reaches millions of people. What have you seen in those 20 years? At, like at just at a, at a very, very high level. I mean, there have been a lot of changes in the culture, a lot of changes. Um, and I mean, potentially, I mean, this is what I want to hear you talk about. Um, a lot of changes in kind of how parents think about parenting and how parents think about children's activities and, and just changes in the education landscape at large too. So um, you know, sure. we've been kind of in the thick of it. So what's what's the narrative? It has been in fascinating watching the trends. Um, launching into the aughts, that was really when you started to sort of have the heyday of parents being very, very concerned about safety. Um, I was not, I was, you know, I'm Gen X. I was raised in the go outside, have a good time, come back later um, kind of era. And um, it became, people became so scheduled. And that was like really sort of taking hold in the aughts, right? Where kids became hyper-scheduled at the same time there was a concern, a hyper-concern about safety. Um, those are trends that I see as unhealthy responses to the wide variety of wonderful things to do. Um, but we've seen over the last, you know, five or six years, especially a kind of 
revisiting of the safety issue. Um, and people are talking about this as a, maybe that's not such a good thing. So those are some of the things. And I, I've seen a lot of trends with things like the indoor play centers coming up and the trampoline parks and, you know, yeah. various things that, um, you know, do, do and to a certain extent, let people be a little bit more daring rock climbing, indoor rock climbing. Um, do, you know. do you think that they're coupled? I mean, this is how I was raised too. It's like, you know, leave the house, come back, you know, come back at sundown. Um, just the kind of decline, like, is the decline of that drive the need for like, there should be all sorts of curated options for children and companies doing these things or. It's been um, hard for me to know what caused what, but they've definitely yeah. sort of like one has definitely enabled the other. Um, and, you know, as when I was bringing up my kids, I need to be really think very hard about that. Right. To what extent was their experience not being self-directed? Um, we had a little bit less of that because we homeschooled and they did a lot of self-education. So I was a little less concerned about it. But I am concerned about this trend you know, just nationally, but I am, and I'm heartened by the re more recent discussion about this. And I love talking about this. I think it's, it's like just in time backlash against that stuff. Like what, like one more generation, one more generation and people would have forgotten how it used to be. No. <laughs> um, but, but, um, but I think people can kind of remember like, wait a second, like it, like it wasn't like this when I was a kid or my parents treated this differently. Um, we're kind of at the tail edge of people being able to remember that. I mean, do you think that people like part of what parents are looking for with platforms like yours is like opportunity? I mean, you were saying like rock climbing, trampolines, like just like opportunities for kids to be kids and kids to take risks. Is that part of what people are seeking out? I hope so. I'm not sure about that. I don't know that the conversation has matured about that quite enough that that's a dominant factor of why they're seeking out the platform. I think they're mostly seeking it out for what are the cool things to do? Um, what can we do with our kids? And that's a kind of good aspect of connection, right? Parents do want to be connected with their kids and they're looking for experiences that they all can do together largely. I mean, they are seeking summer camps and they're seeking classes and, and those sorts of, uh, you know, after school experiences. But really the majority of people come to our site to say, what's happening around town? Who's doing what? finding out sort of the hidden secrets of their area. So that that's that I mean that's fundamentally why. I don't it's not just parents of little kids who are coming to our site. It's parents of everybody from babies through teens. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I and I mean I didn't mean to be cynical about it. Like, like I don't <laughs> think that this is driven by like a need to kind of like primarily driven by a need to, you know, curate a kid's experience and micromanage them. Right. I, I mean I do think that if the internet had existed when I was growing up um, it would have been a pure positive, like it, like it would have been, I mean, I grew up in a time when people could run around and play, but like, it was just harder to organize things yes. um, and get, get information out there. And that, that seems like part of the role that you're playing. Right. And, you know, I've been pretty proud at our ability, you know, it doesn't cost anything to have a user ID and password and post your organization to our site and mm -hmm. post to our calendar. And so I've been pretty proud at the number of low budget types of programs that have been able to exist and the kind of feedback that I've gotten from them that say we couldn't do this if we didn't have a free way to get the word out to lots of people. So that has felt really good over the last couple of decades. Do you see yourself as like, as like competing with local Facebook groups and why, I mean, like, how, like, how do you think about the kind of, I mean, you're not the only game in town and, and a lot of it is right. like on platforms that are not explicitly designed for this. So like, I'm sure. just curious how you think about that. Um, I, I actually mostly think of it as a way that the local organizations that are doing really interesting things can 
promote what they're doing. So my job is to help cultivate an audience for that. Lots of people then take those things and like talk about them in their private local Facebook groups. But those the businesses themselves, the organizations don't have access to those. Um, my job is to sort of help be that kind of, you know, digital pom-poms and megaphone for, you know, all types of things to do, really to celebrate the region, um, to help the region, you know, have its identity as something where lots of great things happen for families. Um, and then, you know, it's we, we're not a social medium, right? This, we're just a curated experience. We filter through, like, who is posting, like, really pretty much if you have to do something for kids, you can post. But, um, you know, we we kind of curate that um, and aren't, we're not a water cooler where parents comment on it or anything. I mean, that's an interesting, and like parenting groups and even education groups, kind of like local community-based groups, there's often a strong norm against like, like if I popped into one of those groups and I was like, like the Texas group where I live, like in Austin, in, in North Austin, and I was like, hey, like I'm part of an organization that runs a bunch of schools. We have spots. You should look at it. Like I'd just be banned from those groups. Like right. it's just like they're they're like not really not looking for solicitation. And mm-hmm. so um um anything else that you've seen? Just I mean, especially in terms of in terms of parenting, but also just I don't know to what extent you've kind of pushed out into education more generally. I, I know that you're focused on activities, but just like what are your parents looking for? Sure. Um we do have those local lists of private schools alternative schools, preschools, um, uh, homeschool groups, like they all can post to our site and, and most of them do in each region. Some of the other things that I've seen though, I mean, it's it's an interesting enterprise because about five to 8% of those who look at our calendars and look at our lists also get our weekly newsletter to get all like that information right in their inbox. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was just reading it before this um, and I really love it. So people should check it out. Just as one micro example of subversion, if I might invite you to just tell us a little bit more sure. about it, um, uh-huh. um, the sell don't tell post. So I actually yeah. coincidentally wrote something about this last week. Also, um, um, this idea that there's a co- there's a connection between kind of parenting and education when it when it's going well and and like sales. Yes. Um, and that the alternative, like, what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is, I mean, maybe you can just say a little bit more about it. So sure. what, what's um, the kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do a lot of sliding in of, of parenting wisdom that I've thought about deeply that I've experienced or that I've read about. Um, I used, I was one of those kids who used to sneak onto my parents' bookshelf and pull the child psychology books and read them before my poor parents would read them. Is um, that a type of kid? <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I was that type of kid. And, uh, you know, they would try something on me and I'd be like, oh, no, sorry, mom, that's fogging. It won't work on me. <laughs> um, and uh, the but I it let me think sort of in principles about parenting. So one of the things that I encountered, which completely rocked my world when I was a, a young person, I was probably nine or so was um, the idea that you're just either a dictator as a parent or you're a salesman. And I thought, you know what? That's right. I, I mean, I, I hated being told what I had to do without reasons um, or even with reasons. I hated being made to do it. Um, but sold, I thought, yep, uh, you go right ahead and sell me on this. And so as I, I had kids myself, people say, oh, you know, you're going to understand the, uh, you know, because I say so thing. 
And you know what? I never said to my children because I say so. Um, you know, I pulled that. It, it, no, really, uh, I became the ultimate salesperson and somewhat annoying about it, right? Because I'm really endlessly cheerful in the, hey, here's why we're going to be doing this and it's going to be awesome. Uh, they would roll their eyes, but, you know. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I mean, there's a couple of subversive things about that to me. So one is um, just, just on the literally, just taking the analogy at face value, like a lot of people have a negative connotation with sales. Um, yes. Like they think of sales as like you're being badgered into doing parting with your money by like a semi-honest, you know, person who's like at best semi-honest. Um, I mean, the way that you're writing, I mean, the way that I think about it and the way that I think you're writing about it here is just like, like it's persuasion. Um, like, like in that sense, like, like the, the kind of old school salesman that goes through a door where the briefcase has died out, but like in, in, a, in a way, like everybody's in sales now. And like, that's part of what educators need to do. Um, yeah. You need to believe in your own product first, for one thing, or else people will see through you right away. Kids immediately. If you don't actually believe in what it is that you're trying to sell your your family on th this being the right thing to do, oh, that won't go very well at all. Yeah, no, kids are um, unmatched BS detectors, mm -hmm. um, especially for certain things like like things like this or like this adult is trying to make me good you know, or something sure. like that, like that they'll, they'll, they'll like resist, like that the instinct is to resist. Um, but yeah, but then also on the side of like, um, just like parenting style and like not being authoritarian and I'm not saying because I said so, like, um, I mean that, I think that the zeitgeist has moved in that direction pretty prominently over the course of my lifetime, at least. Um, like yeah, in certain most, circles, yeah. in certain circles. But in to a lot of my audience, because I said so, so is still a pretty big part of their lives. Um, you know, it, and so there's you're, this striking this balance between what's perceived as the loosey-goosey, let the kids do whatever they want. And because I said so, uh, there's a lot in between those that's not really commonly sort of thought of in the culture, I think. I think that's right. And I think that th this is one of the reasons why I like sales as a concept for like, like you're still actively doing something as a yep. parent. It's just like, what, like, 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 no, like you're going to the mat, you're persuading, you're being cheerful, you're being like, you're being annoying. I like how you said, like, you're being annoying about it. It's just like that. Yeah, like, you're kind of like, not giving up um, on the fight to get your kids to brush their teeth or whatever it is. And brushing teeth, you might actually force them to do it. But, but other things you probably won't. Um yeah, but you know, but, like but there's, there's passive, a sales you know? to brushing your teeth, right? Yep. Yeah. We're going to be, this is what we do. Yeah. Here's why we do it. And here's ways that we make it not, you know, a pain in the neck. My child is not yet three years old. So the, the, the long-term pitch doesn't work on her yet. And uh, right. <laughs> my, my, my various, I cycle through short-term pitches like that she gets inoculated to like you know in, a, in the space of one to two weeks and then i have to like switch it up right. again so, <laughs> yes. um, um but um and it's mostly just about developing the habit right so exactly um, it's interesting that you say like for a lot of parents i mean i think you're probably pretty in touch with a wider variety of parents so i run montessori schools right a and b i'm like on 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 very online, like I'm on Twitter all the time. And so I talked to this very specific subset of parents who like parents who are coming to us are probably like already pretty on board with like some sort of, you know, more quote unquote progressive parenting style. Yes. Um, but it's just, I mean, it's, 
it's I think it's interesting and important to note that like even though that's the trend, like that is not universal. Nope. That's not even close to universal. Um, and uh, I mean, it goes way beyond because I said so. It goes to like like par- parents who are just. I mean, I, I talk to parents who like come into our schools and they're like, "What are you guys doing here? School is about like you. You're supposed to like teach kids things that advance their station in life, whether or not they like it." You know, and it's like it's actually a very it's not a crazy view of schools and parenting, but um, I mean, I assume that that's at least some subset of your audience. Yeah, I think the thing that unites a lot of people is that they're doing the thing that they're doing because that's the thing that we do, whether that's on one side of that equation or the other. And what I try to do is shake them out of the doing the thing that you're doing because that's how we've always done it and into the doing what we're doing for a particular purpose or a particular reason. Um, And I think that if you want to segue to the education aspect, I think COVID did a whole lot of shaking up of parents on that doing what you're doing because that's how we do it and that's how we've always done it. But no, people had a window, a, a literal window into what this experience was. And very many of them said, that's it that's what they're doing. Now, of course, it wasn't exactly what they were doing because Zoom school was a very different thing than in-person school. At the same time, like what the kids were learning and what they were, the standards they were expected to hold to. um, I spent a lot of the spring of 2020 telling people, well, we all thought it was not going to last that long, right? So I've said, look, don't worry. The point isn't whether your kids are with their other kids, uh, you know, academically at this moment. The whole point is, are all the doors still going to be open to them when they're 18? But they saw what they their kids were doing and the options multiplied immediately for how, for parents, they, they realized, oh, we have the power to do this differently. We now have this latitude kind of even socially to do it differently. We can't do it as we've always done it because it's not being done as it's always been done. So we can change this. Yeah, I mean, just just on the kind of informational side of like what parents saw during the pandemic, um, one of the most common things that I heard from parents um, in the spring of 2020 was like, they're only really doing school for like a couple of hours a day. Yeah. Like, um, and 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 then the rest of the time, it's like not, not necessarily busy work, but it's it's like it's not that academic. And then I, I think people like some people people have different reactions to that. Some people are like they should be doing more, but some people are just like maybe school should only be a couple of hours a day. Right. I just, I just need to rethink like what, like what is childhood about? Like if you can really like learn, learn the three R's and learn your basic civics and three hours a day over the course of 12 years, which is not a crazy thing to think like, what else are you doing with that time? Should it be at school right? in Texas where I live? Um, I've noticed um, public school advocacy groups are starting to advertise for public schools on billboards. Uh-huh. Which like, which like, I mean, this is the kind of like district zip code school where you go by default when your child turns six and they're advertising now. Yeah. Um, and that, that, um, it just, and I'm sure a lot of people are still enrolling and probably some of them are quite decent, but like, it, it's, it's just, it's very different to see that as like, I am serving a range of options and picking this, you know, in the, in the yeah. of cost. But, and, and as a parent, like that means that part of, part of what you're doing is you're like, what are the trade-offs? What are the costs? What are the costs? What are the benefits? Like, what do I want an education versus like, you know, everybody goes to school and you don't think about it. Um, the, even the school systems have turned into salespeople. Yeah, exactly. You did um, a survey 
recently of your families on schools. And I wonder if you could just, I think you have some number of families that, um, you know, enroll in private school and that responded to the survey. Um, could you just say a little bit more about that, of what the survey was, and then I can ask you some questions about it? Sure, absolutely. So um, I was asked to present at the EdTech Week conference in New York in September. Um, and in preparing for that, I was looking at looking for some data that's like post-COVID data about parents who are sort of view themselves as consumers of education um, post-COVID. I was, I'm interested in like sort of parents' attitudes about that. And I couldn't find anything. So I decided that to to do a survey of our readers, um, about 19% of our readers uh, send their kids to private school. Um, and that's a little higher than, you know, normal, but you, you would sort of expect that from my readers who are engaged parents. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, for a couple of weeks, I just put out the, hey, please help your publisher by taking a survey if you send your kid to private school, because I wanted to know their reasons for sending their kids to private school. Like that's a deliberate choice, right? They're paying for education as opposed to sending their kids to the free option and the re- and, and why they do that. So I asked them to rate 25 different reasons as unimportant through extremely important um, in why they do this. And so those reasons separated into two types, uh, day-to-day experience uh, and life preparation, right? Those are the two general reasons why parents send their kids to the private schools um, for what they're experiencing every day. And then, you know, is this a better preparation for life? So what they're experiencing every day would be things like are other children cruel to them? Things like that. Correct. Um, and, right. and what and preparation for life would be like, what are they learning? Yeah. Right. Um, and how does, is that a better, you know, way to launch them into the world than public school? Um, and so we had 550 parents uh, who answered that question over a couple of weeks in August and September of 2022. Um, uh, they were all over the U S and Canada and, you know, all different regions. And, um, the results to me were absolutely fascinating. Um, and when it, when regardless of the age of kids, so we had them answer whether they were sending, asking about preschool, elementary school, middle school, or high school, um, regardless of the region of the country, the ratings really shook out very, very similarly. Um, and there were some things that I just didn't know. So, um, one of the, the most for the day-to-day experience, the caring of the teachers, right? The teacher's investment in my kid, 80.5% of respondents ranked that, rated that as a five, extremely important on a scale of one to five. And 15.7% rated that as a four. And when you take that together, that is over 96% of parents saying it's the caring of the teachers. And that was above other very, very important things, right? Like competence and knowledge of the teachers and the high standards of the school um, and the school stated educational or cultural mission. Those were all in the 80s and low 90s, but the caring of the teachers, that interpersonal one-to-one experience, um, that is the fundamental thing that overall, overwhelmingly parents are paying for. Um, Can you just say a little bit about, I mean, why that's kind of like... so? surprising to you um is it like i mean i mean so if you i mean just take like a median case of like a middle school teacher or something or like a middle school student who's going off to school like and the and the parents kind of what they're going to rate is it like look there's a lot of things that you're looking for in a middle school and it's not necessarily 
like, I mean, it's great to have a teacher who cares about your child, but like that, that it would be the number one thing is surprising. Is that, it, is that well, it was surprising yeah. to me because my kids' educational experience was I, they went to Montessori school for preschool and then we homeschooled. And whenever I, the parts of their education that I outsourced was not for their individual interaction with that teacher. It was for the particular knowledge that they were getting. Right. Um, And so but that's why it was surprising to me. I thought of myself as the person most invested in their education. Um, And the other things were just were sort of how 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 caring the teacher was, was way less important to me than whether that teacher knew his stuff. Right. Yep. Yep. That that makes a lot of sense. And what what about on the um, on the kind of preparation for life side? Right. For the preparation for life side, also very interesting to me, not would not have been my answers. But um, the number one reason was not as 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 pound your fist important as for the day to day experience of caring. But the most important thing that they ranked was helping students develop character. Seventy three point zero percent of parents rated that as a number five, extremely important. And twenty one point eight percent ranked it as moderately important giving it a collective score of 94%, almost 95% saying that it was important. And for me, I thought I'm, I'm teaching my own kids character. I'm not sending them to somebody else to help them develop character. But, um, and I don't think that that was really the spirit either that that's exactly intended, um, you know, to help them be solid, well-rounded people is I think what that really means. Um, I wondered whether it was partly because we had a lot of Catholic and Christian school parents taking this, right? There's a lot of Catholic school uh, folks out there. So um, when I filtered for the spiritual aspects, like the fostering a spiritual life, how important is that? And I took the people who thought that was not important, right? A one or a two. The helping students develop character still was number one, even though it was a 63% saying that it was extremely important instead of the 73. So that felt very, very conclusive to me. And again, if it was Texas or if it was the Pacific Northwest or the Northeast, it didn't matter where it was. These were the responses. So that was. Yeah. I mean, part, part of what's so interesting to me about that, I, I made this comment to you before, but like someone who's hyper invested in a child and who is thinking about their character over the longer term, like sounds a lot like a parent. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, it, I mean, it sounds, I mean, it just like, it suggests that, part of what parents are looking for is something more like, more like a, an extent, like, I mean, when, when you described what you were looking for for your children, it was like, I'm doing the parenting and like, I'm looking for certain kinds of expertise, you know, to kind of right. support that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's not necessarily how parents are thinking about it today. Um, that they're looking for somebody who like, no, like they're doing some of the parenting stuff in terms yeah. of the investment, the, the kind of longer term focus. Um, is that your sense also? I, it is my sense. And in fact, when I think back to, the teachers that weren't me, uh, who weren't who weren't me, but who were very um, had a good impact on my kids. It really was were those people who cared deeply about my kids and their own success. I mean, I'm still in touch with my daughter's Montessori school teacher, uh, 18 years later. So uh, that it, it turns out that that wasn't you know important to me. That 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 those are the things that you know make you want to fling your arms around the educator. Um, you don't want to fling your arms around people who don't care about your kids so i in retrospect i get that um I really yeah do. i mean i definitely get it i mean i i mean my daughter's very young i've got a two-year-old but like i, I do evaluate teachers based on i'm like 
I mean, obviously I love my daughter and I think that she's the most perfect child in the world. And I think that she's amazing. Um, and I know that I have a biased perspective, but I, I also like, I mean, even with babysitters, I'm like, do they fall in love with my child? Right. Like, that is something that I'm like evaluating. And it doesn't mean that I, I like won't hire them if they're not as in love with them as I am, but it, it's just like my kind of general sense is like, if you're kind of not seeing what's special here, like you're missing something. Cause I yeah. see it like, you know, um, and, and it's, it's just kind of like part of the trust relationship. Yep. Um, I think there's also this perception and it may be accurate uh, and growing of public school parents as public school teachers as not fundamentally caring and not having the incentive to. Um, so as parents sort of, I, I think that this trend will actually continue, um, you know, as parents like are looking around and seeing that they have a choice. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means for a continue the continuation of public school, but it, it probably doesn't mean good things for that continuation yeah so the i mean is the idea something like um look it's not like public schools do nothing like they teach basic skills and they have teachers doing stuff it's just that like you you might kind of look at this it's it's like a bureaucracy and like they've got a bunch of students and they're kind of working through a system and like you know if like i mean one way to put it would be like if your child really needs special attention or individualized attention like they're probably not going to get it but if you go one level more abstract than that it's not if your child needs individualized attention, it's just like, if you care about the teacher caring about your individual child, you're probably not going to get that that much at a public school. Yeah, um, and th- I mean, they're, they're obviously, I mean, you could argue whether or not that's true, but just like that might be the perception. Sure. And I mean, like you notice that we, people always call out those wonderful public school teachers right. who still do care parentheses, right. despite the lack of incentive, despite the burnout, despite the fact that you're participating in this huge bureaucracy that seems to, you know, be the end in itself. Um, so, the, I mean, that's, that's, that's something I hope, I would love to think that schools are paying attention to that. And maybe that's what they're going to advertise. Hey, and you know, on, on their billboards, right? Hey, at our public school, it's not so bad. Teachers will actually care. Um, yeah. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm very interested in the topic of education as an extension of parenting um, or mm-hmm. as a kind of delegation of parenting um, where, um, you know, I think that there are unique things about the parental relationship that I don't think that schools should try to replicate. But there are also um, things that just aren't that they will that they will naturally have in common, A, and B. Like if parents are consumers in education, like if they're making these choices, like it makes a lot of sense that they would want um, at least some elements of um, a kind of like deeply positive individual long-term perspective on their child to be part of the school. And that's, um, I mean, some elements of that have been present in the history of education, but it just, it generally hasn't been the perspective um, that the parents have brought to schools um, and that schools have, certainly not the perspective that schools have had of themselves. I'd be fascinated. Uh, now, you know, when I look back at my kids' teachers, the extent to which those teachers were selling my kid on my kid, sort of on the wonderfulness yeah. that is my kid, uh, those were super, super special. Um, and I think probably could be incredibly formative for a child. Um, and again, we're going back to the whole sales thing, right? When my husband, David, taught math, he was basically selling his students on how cool this thing is. Um, this is just the most amazing thing. Come along with me on this math journey. Um, actually, he, I'm much peppier than he is on this, but that's essentially <laughs> what he was doing. Um, I was say, I've, met, I've met your husband. Yeah, he's passionate, <laughs> but not quite as, yo, everybody, follow me as I am. Um, 
but uh, but I, I think that, you know, teachers don't just sell kids, great teachers don't just sell kids on that information or on that experience. They sell kids on themselves. Yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, I think that that, um, that kind of, um, that idea has like a mixed reputation these days because of like um, the self-esteem movement and everybody gets a trophy. But I, I, my view is that there's really something to that. Like children are born not able to do anything, but they're surrounded by people who love them and who really deeply believe that like you will be able to do things like you have this potential in you. And, um, and that's, I think that that's part of how you bootstrap the motivation to love yourself and to do things and to, and to achieve competence. And, um, um, it's interesting to hear you to, to kind of hear that that's part of your take on it. That, that it's like um, part of what parents want is like a teacher who believes in their child and who's going to kind of like help them do do these things. So, I think um, that's go ahead. What did you say? I think that's true. Is all I said. Yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah, can you just uh, uh, in terms of kind of like what else was in i mean that's really fascinating and mm-hmm. what else was in the survey in terms of like i mean i don't know are like our parents worried about academics our parents worried about bullying our parents oh, worried, they are. there's a kind of laundry list of things that like is in the news about what parents care about i'm just curious what you saw in your, in your sure. numbers sure sure um the competence and knowledge of the teachers was also very important right so they wanted teachers who actually knew something rather than those who were just sort of you know teaching to the test or teaching to teach uh, because that's what they learned in their education program. Um, The school's stated educational or cultural mission was very important to the parents who answered this survey. And so that, if you think about that, um, for any given private school, like, you know, there are different educational or cultural missions. Um, We had a 62.4% saying that was extremely important and 25.4% saying it was moderately important. So the school having the identity that the school has is important to parents who are purchasing that and sort of, you know, being able confidently to talk about that, I think, um, is actionable for schools. Like, who are we? What do we stand for? Parents will care what you stand for. Um, The ability to tailor a program to the individual needs of their kids and autonomy from political and educational trends, um, just like the political stuff, like, you know, the school's ability to do what the school knows best rather than um, you know, a public school has to do, you know, what the state says or whatever was also very important to parents. Two thirds of them marked that a four or a five. Um, and um, things like the quality of the other students that the kids are interacting with, that was also a two thirds of, you know, reason why parents four or five um, sent their kids to those to, to private school, as opposed to just the school that was, you know, they were designated for in their community. Um, that's really interesting so um um i mean th- this i mean th- there's a cluster of things there that have to do with the school's identity like some of it is like negative like are are you autonomous from other info like are you just going to kind of like blow in the wind of the latest trends or blow in the wind of the latest legislation or whatever or um and then on the positive side it's like what's your mission as a school mm-hmm. um part of what's fascinating about that is that i think al- almost more than anything else like even more than like their bureaucracies and the teachers are burnt out um, one of the criticisms of U.S. public schools that I think is the most fair is that um, they have no mission. Yeah. Um, and and if you kind of go and you read mission statements of schools, of public schools, um, it's like 
it's like everything in the kitchen sink. It's like we prepare students for the modern economy by developing their character and giving them basic skills. And we make learning fun with project-based learning as we teach the grades. I mean, it's like either there's nothing there or it's like a totally incoherent mission. That's like a mishmash of everything. It's like, you know, they're trying to like please everybody basically and just kind of say generic things. Um, It's interesting that that's important to parents. Um, I mean, it makes sense. The parents who are choosing private schools that they're looking for something specific, but like, I don't think that that's um, that, that it's not necessarily like part of the wider discourse that you're like looking for a school with a specific purpose if you're if you're a parent who's thoughtful about education. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have any? I think there's a few people who have joined. Um, feel free to raise your hand or pipe up if you want to ask Deb something. Um, we have a couple people joining us just now. Um, interrupt me if they are raising their hands, but one of the other, um, uh, on the preparation for life, um, the first, uh, sort of like five of these didn't have anything to do with academic stuff. So hmm. the character, as we mentioned, was important. Teaching kids to work with others was next most important. Um, hmm. and fo- fostering out of the box thinking was almost as important too. So this sort of, um, having the child, really getting prepared for life, which is not the specific things that they know, but these kind of ability to do what people do in life, which is work with other people and think independently. Because if you're not thinking independently, you're not creating, producing, you're just sort of, you know, chugging along. Um, So those were, those were really intriguing to me to be sort of way at the top over preparation to get into a good college or education in arts and humanities or STEM. Uh, as reasons for purchasing education. I mean, it would be really interesting to see how universally true that is, or if there's historical change over time. Um, I mean, I wonder to what extent, um, like, I mean, one way to think about that as a parent might be like, that stuff matters, like it's a constraint, you know, like it's not like I don't care about those things. And so I'm not going to rate them the most high, the, the, I'm not going to rate them really low, um, but like they're not at the top of my list. Like the things that I feel like I have yeah. to push for are like something else. Like, you know, you know, um, it would be, um, I mean, or, or it could just be that like, yeah, people care about academics less now. Um, like people are kind of tired of the rat race and burnt out. I mean, there could be a more straightforward explanation for it. And also um, like, let's just think about all of the ed tech out there. So yeah. parents now know if their kid needs to know something, they can go and find that information at fairly low cost, right? They can, you know, go to Wikipedia for heaven's sake. They could go to Khan Academy. They could get, there's all kinds of online resources that are low or no cost to get their kids immediately connected to information. Um, and so I, I would, believe me, I would love to go back a decade in, my, in a time machine and give this survey also, because, oh, that would be so interesting. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I wonder to what extent, uh, um, I mean, this isn't necessarily what you're saying, but I, I often like, I mean, I occasionally face the, I mean, so I work in Montessori education and alternative education. And I talk to people who are interested in space, people like parents and investors. And I often get like very radical arguments in the direction of like, why are you even having kids learn facts at all? Like you can just look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, like Wikipedia is kind of like the, the I mean, and now you're going to have AI, right? This is the thing that's dominated the internet over the last few weeks is how good chat gpt is and you can just ask it anything right um um and part of my argument has always been like yeah like yes you can look it up 
but like you don't like the capacity to look it up doesn't mean that you like know it or have internalized it in any way. Right. Um, and there are downsides to not having internalized certain things, like not having internalized like a basic structure of history and a basic timeline or a basic sense of kind of like what the different fields of science are and what they what they've said over the last hundred years or something like that. Um, and I mean, I, I don't even have a question here. Um, no, but, but like you, just, you like, own like that, that tool or you, yeah. or, or you don't own the tool. Um, yeah. You know, I always encourage my kids like, you know, to understand when they owned the tool or when they could go and rent out that tool. Right. Uh, that was the diff. And, you know, owning tools feels really, really good. You feel really powerful uh, the more more skills you have and, and access to that information that you have instantly without having to interrupt yourself to go find it. Yeah. And there's I mean, part of the what's interesting for educators now I mean, there, I mean, maybe this is what you mean. Maybe you mean like own a tool in a broad sense of own, like you, you like have command over the tool. Yeah. But they're like, you can be better or worse at using like Google and Wikipedia, right? And and um and some people are terrible at it. <laughs> some people kind of like Google things and look things up, and they get sucked in by the first advertisement, or they like don't even know how to read a, like reading a Wikipedia page is not a trivial thing, depending on the subject, and um and like you kind of like need a certain basis or background knowledge to do that much less to be able to to kind of like assess it independently and i do think that that like i worry about that kind of yeah. defining as a value in education um, well i mean i think that the owning of the tool is less the the specific tool of being able to search wikipedia as that fundamental broad knowledge of history and various things placed in it or like to go to math you either, if you know how to use calculus, if you know how to do calculus, man, do you own amazing tool, right? That, yeah. that shortcuts you. You understand so much about how the world works. And, and you know, um, so that's the kind of tool that I meant rather than the very specific, can I search Google? Um, I meant the things that like are building blocks in your own knowledge structure that you don't, that is just there for you when you need them. Yeah, exactly. And, but that, I mean, and part of the, part of the, argument that i have with people is like that is not easy to acquire like, no. those tools aren't easy to acquire like this and right. this is part of the reason why education and school are a value and, and part of the reason why they exist is like i mean even like if, i mean you, you probably did a better job with this than i would especially between you and your husband who's like a math expert but like if, if i think it's important like you know not necessarily that you can like do a derivative like when you're 40 like because you studied it so well and you memorized it so well but that you know what a derivative is and that right you know what an integral is and yes. that you know that there's something you know that there's something like an area under the curve of a probability distribution and like that enables like just just knowing that enables like a whole host of questions that you might ask or um things that you might kind of direct other people to do or ways that you might inquire and like I, I definitely worry um, with with education that's less focused on skills and knowledge. That, like you don't end up knowing that. Like you encounter it, you kind of forget it, um, and um, and it takes some kind of work and study to internalize it. So it's interesting that that it's kind of declining in terms of the parents' values. But I mean, it might be that that's that's. I mean, what I'm saying might not be an accurate interpretation of your family. So <laughs> um, I think we're in we're in agreement, though. We are. We are. You said it. You said it better than I could have. Um, well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, even though there are a bunch of people joining now. I unfortunately have to leave to pick my daughter up from school. But um, so how, how should people find you and follow you? So kidsoutandabout.com is your website. But like, how do they, can they just go there, subscribe to your newsletter? Do they make an account? Like, how do people engage with your stuff? 
Right. So there's two types, right? There are the parents who are looking for what's happening, or you don't have to be a parent because about 60 to 70% of what's on our calendars is really for everybody. Um, if you, even if you forget kids out and about.com, which you can go and select your region, you just Google places to take kids in Austin or places to take kids in Salt Lake City or Westchester or Los Angeles or whatever, um, you'll find us. And uh, I do, of course, encourage everybody who does to sign up for our weekly newsletter because not just because then I will own you, um, but also really because that's that's how you find out what's happening. For the other uh, bunch of folks who have something that they are promoting to families in their local area, uh, there's a little for organizations button in the upper right-hand corner of any Kids Out and About page and basically log your organization with us. You can get a free account and uh, we'll help you start spreading the word about what's what's happening. Um, that's awesome. So yeah, you guys should all check that out and go and read some of Deb's newsletters at the Kids Out and About blog. There's a lot of really good parenting information in there that's secretly subversive, as she mentioned. <laughs> and um, and if you're just signing in now, listen to the recording. It's been an interesting hour. Um, so um, so thank you so much, Deb. What a pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much.